Amen. We're uh, continuing this series that we've called Can You Relate? We are exploring different relationships that have been strained over the past year. And without question, uh, one of those relationships, at least uh, through all the news outlets and media, is uh, the issue of race relations. And so we're going to take time uh, to, to dive into this. And so here's, I'll, I want to just unpack this really quickly and how the next two weeks are going to go. Uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to get into a conversation with an incredible couple, which I'll uh, announce in just a minute or tell you who they are in just a moment. But uh, we, we want to talk about what God has to say about race relations, because God has some things to say about that. It's going to be critical. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Then next week, we're going to talk about how do you relate with those that have completely different beliefs than you? How do you relate with those that believe something totally different? And there are all kinds of arenas in which we find ourselves believing very, very different things. Uh, sometimes there are people within the church, sometimes there are people without the church, but we all have differing beliefs. And the problem is it feels like these days the best way to deal with these things is just to be louder and angrier than the person in front of you. And God has something to say about that. So we're going to talk about these two things. And the reason is this. Listen, I want to read, I, I want to read Revelation chapter 7 to you because I always think it's really critically important to look at the end. Let's, because we know how this thing is finishing. So if you want to grab a Bible, Revelation chapter 7, I want you just to have it in your hand, you guys that are joining us at home. Grab a Bible. You can take a look at this. I'm just going to read verse 9, Revelation chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 9. It says, After this I looked and behold, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, this is where we are headed. It does not matter what narrative is being spoken of outside of the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word says this, every one of us is headed, no matter what your color is, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what language you speak, every person's going to be joined. There won't be one group on top of another group. There won't be another group that is under a group. We're all going to be standing before the throne of God with our faces on the ground, totally undone in the presence of God totally linked and united together. This is the prophetic promise of God. This is where we're headed. And if that's where we're headed, then that's good news because what that means is this. We can start to anchor ourselves in the truth. And what that means is this, that those who carry the truth are the ones who carry the hope of the world. The church is meant to be the voice of hope and truth. The church is meant to be the answer to the problems that all societies face. Doesn't matter if your society is a Western culture here, uh, or it doesn't matter if you're an Eastern culture, doesn't matter where you're coming from, the gospel has the answer, and this is where we're headed. 
And so we feel like it's a responsibility. We feel incumbent upon us, even as a church. The reason that we're even diving into this, because it kind of seems stupid, right? You probably shouldn't be trying to talk about these things, because even in this room, uh, there are probably different ideas about what's going on with respect to race relations. There's different ideas what's going on with respect to gender identities and all kinds of things. So it's critically important that we start asking the question, God, what do you say? What do you say? This is the most important thing about you because I promise you, if one of the major news media outlets is your source of truth, listen, you're missing it. I don't, it doesn't matter on what part of the spectrum you come from. If the major news media outlets are your source of truth and the way that life should be, that you're going to find yourself empty. The gospel is the answer to all the, the, all the questions and all the, the cry of the heart of people for unity, for equality, for reconciliation. It comes from the gospel. Listen, you need to hear this. Reconciliation is God's idea. Reconciliation is God's idea. You think, I'm not making this up. Second Corinthians chapter five. You wanna hear this? Listen, Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen, God is the one, the, the first and great reconciler. It's who he is, what he does. He reconciles us to him. And then what does he do? He reconciles us to each other. He owns this topic. He has life to give to us. He has things that he wants to say and bring us in with one another. And so this is what I wanna do, is ask God this, this question. Lord, can you show us what it means to be the answer to this moment, this cultural moment, where there's lots of questions being asked, there's lots of ideas, and let's be honest, when it comes to race relations, we can literally swing the pendulum all the way from there is no racism and it's all being trumped up by the media, all the way over to you are, if you are not a minority, you are automatically racist. And every opinion in between. And so we have to be a people who anchor ourselves in the word of God and ask him, Lord, what do you have to say? And then Lord, would you let us carry the truth with us? So I felt like, listen, the best way to do this, one of the things that we love to do here as a church is we like to get into conversations. And so today we're gonna enter into a conversation with doctors Craig and Maydean Keener. Uh, doctors Craig and Maydean Keener, Dr. Craig, uh, Dr. Craig Keener is a, a Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Seminary. Dr. Maydean Keener also teaches at Asbury Seminary and an adjunct professor at Asbury University. Uh, they are incredible people in the kingdom of God, incredibly smart individuals who have been ministering uh, alongside each other for a long time. Uh, Craig's New Testament background commentary has sold more than half a million copies. He is widely revered in the theological community, has, been, has made incredible uh, uh, additions to the church family to help us understand the word of God. In fact, uh, I've used his commentary dozens upon dozens of times uh, when researching uh, uh, for messages. Uh, but I think the probably the most uh, 
the, the, the title that they hold most dear to their hearts is that they are the parents of David Keener, who is our worship leader, uh, and, and Grace Keener uh, is their daughter-in-law, and probably their most favorite title now is they are grandparents of Hosanna Keener, and so that's probably what they most thrill themselves about. Listen, you can have all the titles. What I love about them is they are an interracial or biracial couple. They've been walking this road of racial reconciliation for a long time, and we wanted to sit down and have a conversation with them. We were hoping to be able to have them here, but unfortunately, they had some nagging illnesses that kept them from being able to come. And so I said, well, we're just going to, hey, it's 2021. We're going to do Zoom, right? So I just jumped, we just jumped on a Zoom. We had a chance to record this conversation. It was so life-giving. I wanted to talk to them for an hour, but I wanted to be faithful with our time here. And so we only had uh, about half of that time just to be able to talk. And I just want you to be able to hear their hearts. And then we're going to just say, God, would you let New River Fellowship be on the forefront of bringing reconciliation? That's where we want to be as a church, is we want to be on the forefront of seeing races reconciled and believing that God's got the answer for this. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to launch this conversation that I got, I got to have with this incredible couple. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. I thank you for the keeners. I ser- we certainly thank you for the keeners that we've had gotten to have here, David and Grace, and the way that they've ministered here. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to receive from you, from your body, to ha- enter into this conversation about what it means to be biblical people who carry your message of reconciliation. Lord, release your truth now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to say welcome and thank you so much, uh, Drs. Craig and Maydeen Keener, both um, uh, just we're incredibly glad to have you guys. So thankful for uh, this time that you guys are willing to spend with us and, and invest into our church family. And so thank you for this time. It's awesome. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful. Um, so I'd love to, uh, you guys have uh, co-written a book together that is unbelievable, incredible uh, story uh, of, of how you guys came together. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Uh, Impossible Love. Mm-hmm. And um, there it is. And, and so uh, obviously we couldn't get into the, all the details of, of everything that that book covers. And I would highly, obviously, encourage our family, church family, to, to grab this book because it's so powerful. It's kind of one of those you can't even put down. Um, but I'd love to hear just, Maydine, even just you have this amazing story, um, you, know, you know, where you came from, coming to America from Congo. Could you just give us the overview, if that's even possible to ask this, the overview of, of your story and how you uh, arrived here and, and, and you met and, and married Craig? Sure. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to the missionaries who came to Congo and brought the gospel. Yeah. And through that, my parents became Christians. I grew up in a Christian home and at age 15 became, I gave my life to Jesus. So growing up, Congo was, well, we had our ups and downs. Um, But after I came to Europe and then to the U.S., and after my Ph.D. went back to Congo, the country experienced another civil war. And so I found myself fleeing for dear life during this civil war with my family And actually, the book is a little bit about God helping us through um, very, very difficult circumstances. And um, 
in the midst of all of that, while I was here, I met Craig and after war, Craig and I talked and we found out that, yes, we were supposed to get married. This is really the short of it. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, after going through a few difficulties. So she, she met me before the war. <laughs> I met him. Okay. Before, yes. Um, yeah. Everything worked out. We got married. But if you have specific questions, um, I will be glad to answer that. Basically, the book talks about God's presence in the midst of very hard circumstances. The fact that yeah. he never leaves us. Yeah. Yes. That, uh, that, that is a, uh, a timeless and beautiful thing to be able to see the faithfulness of God through uh, really difficult circumstances. And so, um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. I know there's actually, I feel like there's so much more of your story I want to be able to get into while at the same time, uh, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to talk with you guys specifically about um, the issue of race uh, and race relations. Uh, obviously, your marriage is a, a beautiful picture of, of uh, harmony of races, but I, I, I'd love just because of this moment and time, we're in this unique and what feels like an, a little bit of an unprecedented time uh, in our nation with respect to race relations and this m movement towards equality. And so uh, Mike, here's a big, broad question, but I'd love to, and maybe you can kind of distill it for us. What parts of this movement, and even just over this past year, have felt fruitful uh, towards this, the issue of equality? And, 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 and then conversely, what parts of, of this, maybe this last year of this movement have, have you felt grieved over or, or have seen something that has been maybe grieving or, or difficult? <laughs> I can just say that, uh, just to start, um, to say that race issues here in the U.S., uh, it's just in, in my eyes, just a small part of what's going on. In Congo, we had war because of tribal issues. Um, one region didn't agree with another region. Uh, we don't talk the same way. We physically, sometimes we don't look the same way. And so because of fear, hatred, anger, corruption, all these things, war came to Congo. So what we experienced was race, but in an ethnic, at an ethnic level. So we call it tribalism or ethnicism. Um, so for me coming here and experiencing what we experienced in this past year was that bringing back some memories of things mm -hmm. that happened in the past and saying, oh, yeah, it is, it's not about, you know, somebody from the North and somebody from the South, but it's about your, the color of your skin, something like that. Mm. Yeah. Racism, as we experience it in the U.S., is a construct from U.S. history. And, but it's a, it's the the cross cultural, the transcultural dimension of it is actually not just based on color. It's based on ethnicity. But you you have it at, at all sorts of levels. I mean, you have it. Selfishness is. That means human sin is often epitomized in terms of selfishness. You take that to a corporate level, it's my group versus your group. But in the history of this country, the history of slavery or what Native Americans experienced and, and, and so on, 
those are those are unique to our particular cultural setting. Of course, race was also an issue in South Africa, but there the majority was black, mm -hmm. the minority was white, um, and you also had a lot of um, a lot of minority cultures there. Um, it, which you, you've also had here as well. I mean, up until I think something like 1950, it was illegal for white people to marry people of Asian descent mm -hmm. in California. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, this is, uh, wow. We, well, happily, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, I think, in the 1960s when interracial marriage was legal in all states. Yeah. But we were too young to get married by then. Anyway, so it didn't affect us. But the the prejudices we have today grew out of that, and the suspicions, the mistrust, grew out of that. Now, on an individual level, anybody can oppress anybody. But in the history of this country, it was more white people oppressing black people, and so that that needs to be acknowledged. <sighs> When I was growing up, uh, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. You know, I thought like the civil rights movement settled everything. Mm -hmm. I had African-American friends. I grew up in a you know, fairly integrated school. And so, you know, we were friends, but we didn't talk much about race. And I, and I you know, I, I thought it would be impolite to say it, but I really thought the civil rights movement had settled everything. And then when I was at Duke in North Carolina, late 80s, early 90s, I found out that I was wrong. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I started, uh, I had, uh, I was part of an African-American Bible study group. And one time after the, the group um, w was breaking up and people were just conversing among each other, they were just casually talking with each other about, you know, yeah, I got called the N-word again today, and you know this person had experienced this act of racism, and that, and I was, I was horrified. And then when uh, you know the others left, I was just there with my friend Arthur, and I said, Arthur, this doesn't happen often, does it? And he looked at me like, you poor naive white man. <laughs> he, he took me aside and he said, you know, my first English class here at Duke. And this is not a, a reflection on Duke as a whole, but in my first English class at Duke, my professor called me aside after class. I was the only African-American in the class. First day of class, the professor said, no, you're not going to pass this class, so you need to drop it. And if you tell anybody I told you this, it'll be your word against mine. Wow. It blew my mind. Of course, wow. Arthur now uh, is, a, is a doctor, you know, so mm -hmm. he, and he, had the, he had the stuff to do it, but the uh, we don't know things sometimes because we're not in circles where we allow ourselves to hear about those things. And people will only share them with us if they trust that we'll actually listen to them. Mm -hmm. So we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, especially slow to anger. Um, politics is another thing that often divides people, but Sometimes you'll have a white Christian and a black Christian, and this is a generalization because not everybody from either sure. party votes a certain way, but of course, who may hold exactly the same views on issues, 
but it's a question of which issue they're prioritizing. Mm. Like when I was in Durham, North Carolina again, you know, to me, a very important issue, I'm, I'm pro-life. I, I really, yeah, well, I want to be consistently pro-life, but on the abortion issue, I was pro-life. I had friends who were pro-life too, but they were voting a different way than I was because the senator at the time was openly racist and the schools were still, even though they weren't officially segregated, in practice, they essentially were. Right. And, and their kids weren't getting the same kind of education as, as some other kids were. So it helped me see, okay, oh, we both actually agree it's an issue of, of what we're prioritizing. We both need to work for justice on, you know, the whole spectrum. But until we listen and hear where people are coming from, we don't really have a right to evaluate where they're coming from. Mm. Uh, you just unpacked a whole bunch of things that were just unbelievable, even just in that uh, brief moment. Um, and, I, you know, if, when we even asking this question about fruitfulness of this moment is to be able to acknowledge and highlight that while we may not see prevalently in our area or in, even in the kind of the world, in the small world in which we live in, uh, forms of racism, we don't want to be blind to the fact that there it, it does still exist in places. And this is a beautiful moment for us to uh, have this opportunity uh, as a people to say, Lord, Lord, stop this. Stop this sin in our nation. Even if I don't see it or experience it personally, we want to see it eradicated. And, um, and that's such a, that's a beautiful thing. And um, I'm thankful for, for that in this moment, certainly. I, I didn't see it initially because it wasn't happening to me. To you, right. It's, it's, like, it's like you have people, I, I, I wrote a book on miracles, and you have people who say, well, if I see it, I'll believe it. You know, they, won't, they, they don't want to believe it on somebody else's testimony. But, I mean, like if, you're, if a traffic accident occurs and the officer is interviewing people at the accident, and somebody comes along and says, that's not what happened. Don't listen to them. And the officer says, uh, well, can you tell me what you saw happen? Well, I didn't see anything happen. I wasn't there. That's why I know it didn't happen. And that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, need to, we need to listen to other people's experiences. Yes. So good. So good. So helpful. So thankful uh, for that perspective. Um, tell, tell me, you know, if you could try to encapsulate what are your thoughts just on the biblical narrative of God's heart towards race and race relations? Well, it's good for, I mean, there may be some, some Jewish believers listening to this, but for those who are Gentile believers, uh, it's really good that God does have a heart for uh, intercultural yeah. uh, <laughs> because Otherwise, you know, if it was going to be just one people, it wouldn't have been any of us. <laughs> right, right. You know, but when he chose Abraham, it was to be a blessing to the nations. Ultimately, yep. God, God was working to bring something fruitful. Isaiah talks about, you know, uh, Assyria and uh, Egypt being called together as God's people with Israel and, and so on, uh, eschatologically. So in, uh, in the New Testament, we see this in particular. When I joined an African-American church, 
and actually was ordained there back in the, uh, I think, 1991. I was like, boy, it'd be really good if the Bible talked about ethnic reconciliation. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, I, it dawned on me, you know, it does, you, but the New Testament issues weren't black and white because those weren't the issues in ancient Mediterranean culture. But issues for the, the church as they were growing out of, you know, um, you know, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, New Testament texts about Jewish and Samaritan, New Testament texts about Jewish and Gentile, it's all over the place. If God would summon us to surmount a barrier that he himself established in salvation history, how much more does he summon us to surmount every barrier that's been established merely by human convention or worse yet, by human sinfulness? Mm. So in Ephesians, where it talks about us being one body in Christ or even one new temple in Christ, where you know, amazingly, there were a lot of people like the Dead Sea Scrolls talks about, forget the, uh, uh, any Gentiles. We don't want any Gentiles in, mm. in God's temple. <laughs> but one, one new temple in the spirit of, of, of Christ and the spirit of God, we, we've been made one. Um, it says that he reconciled us in one body by the cross. Mm. And just as it would be painful for me if somebody ripped my arm off. It's painful for our Lord when his body is divided. He paid a great price. Amen. And Ephesians talks about, in Ephesians 4, about preserving the unity um, of the body of Christ. We preserve it. We don't initiate it. Jesus initiated it but we need to work to preserve it and whatever we need to do to affirm and, and build that unity that our Lord paid for to humble ourselves. And yeah. this is more incumbent on the dominant culture, you know, uh, whether it's black and white or, um, you know, in some other parts of the world, it's you know, different cultural dimensions, but it's, it's, it's incumbent, especially in the dominant culture, because the minority cultures, they know the dominant culture. They have to live with it. But those of us in the dominant culture can be blind to what others go through. And I think what the past year has highlighted is, you know, the dominant culture has been more exposed to the experiences of minority cultures. Recent attacks on Asian Americans. Um, we know a lot of uh, Hispanic, Latino uh, workers have been suffering for a long time. I was I was at a hotel one time in Florida and, and started talking to a worker there, and she was saying, "Yeah, this company brought me here, uh, got me a visa to come here, but they 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 make me uh, keep paying the money, and then they keep raising the the money I have to pay them. Mm. It's an interest, and so." I never make enough money to to do anything beyond just, you know, and if I complain, they send me back. So wow. there, there are a lot of things that go on even today that we don't know about unless we listen to people's stories. Mm. That's, uh, 
I think maybe you mentioned the, the scripture uh, a moment ago, but just the uh, qu- being quick to listen and slow to speak. I, I can't think, I can't think of a maybe more important verse uh, for this moment culturally to be so quick to listen and slow to to speak and even make judgments um, without hearing. And I think I hope you know that the church grows in this in this moment um, uh, as we seek to grow in that unity that you just described, um, that God's, you know, heart is for, um, I, I know Craig, I'll, I'll start with you on, on this. Um, your heart specifically has, you know, obviously long beaten on this issue of racial reconciliation that, you know, the Holy spirit, you, I know reading the book, uh, watching the Holy spirit lead you, uh, specifically um, in, in this in this ide- ideology or idea of racial reconciliation. You joined the, the African-American church, and as you mentioned a, a moment ago, or came on staff and were ordained at an African-American church. And so uh, uh, what have you learned about racial reconciliation from your time just intentionally pursuing relationship with the African-American community? What, what, as you kind of in, intentionally pursued that, what, what has really come to the surface uh, most for you? When I was really considering joining this African-American church, you know, I'd been visiting and was really feeling drawn toward it. I asked a, a friend who was an African-American worker in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a lot more integrated now. It's actually where we met, but mm. a lot more integrated now. But at the time, he was definitely a minority in terms of staff. And I asked his advice, you know, how I should pursue it. He said, well, keep in mind that you will be a bridge and bridges need to be ready to be walked on. Come on. And so um, I found out that if I humbled myself, and listened and loved. The, the church welcomed me. That, that was not a problem. But of course, there were people who were not believers. And so when I lived in an African American community, and, and most of my neighbors, they, they actually looked out for me. They were very, very kind. But you know, there were people who didn't trust me initially because they had experienced so many bad things from white people. But the longest anybody ever held my love at bay was a year. <laughs> okay. If I was willing to hang in there and, and humbly work and build relationships, I, I mean, I'm not promising you can always, always break through prejudice. Sure. And a lot of the prejudices are there because of mistreatment. Some of them are there because of, you know, just the generations of mistreatment and the, you know, the um, reflexes that 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 creates. But love, love breaks down barriers. Mm. It requires sacrifice. I mean, when Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman, Samaritans and Jews had a really (laughs) unpleasant history of relationships. Like when she says, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem, we Samaritans, we worshipped, past tense, on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. Jews had destroyed the Samaritan temple. That's why she has mm. to use past tense. Wow. And, and well, Samaritans desecrated the Jerusalem temple. You know, they, they didn't like each other's holy sites at all. And 
when people were taking the shortcut through Samaria to get to Jerusalem from Galilee, as they often did, a three days journey, it was, you know, they'd often get mocked by Samaritans. And sometimes, you know, you'd have riots break out, but usually it was just ridicule. And Jesus actually, in, in that passage, he, he broke through three barriers. One was she was a sinner, which most people Jesus dealt with were sinners. Uh, there were the ones who knew they were, and then there were the ones who thought they were righteous. <laughs> but then also, um, Jesus, in that, in that culture, it was looked down on to be speaking with a woman without other people around, uh, for a man to do that, because sure. it was considered to be. Um, so in 427 of John, it says that they marveled that he, he was speaking with a woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. But in 4, oh, around verse 9, somewhere around there, 8 or 9, something, um, it says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That was the big issue. Yeah. So, you know, he asks her for a drink. And she says, what, what do you want a drink from me for? I mean, Samaritan drinking vessels, if they've been handled by a woman, really conservative Jews would consider that to be impure because they said that, you know, Jewish woman's ritually impure one week out of every month. But a Samaritan woman is unclean every week out of every month from the time that she was born. So what do you want with me? What are you talking to me for? <laughs> um, but Jesus gradually surmounts each of those barriers because, as he says, the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And this was somebody that the Father was seeking through Jesus. And, and when it comes to that division between holy sites, he, he tells her, salvation is of the Jews, but then he says, ma'am, an hour is coming when true worship will neither be in Jerusalem nor on this mountain, but the true place, the true sphere of worship will be in spirit and in truth. He, he, he builds a new temple that brings us all together in him. Love it. So powerful. Um, I love this, or that, that picture of building bridges and just feel like this is, this is the moment for the church to step into and, and uh, to hopefully get to play a part uh, in this hour um, uh, over this issue. And, and that's my heart. In fact, I, I wanted to ask uh, you, Maydane, I'll start with you on, on this question. What do you feel uh, the, the role uh, that the church can play in helping heal whatever divides that do exist over uh, racial issues, racial inequalities. What role is the church meant to play? What What do you see as being something? I mean, even as we ask this question, um, in very real ways, um, or even in very practical ways, uh, of being able to be a help and be, uh, as Craig said, be a bridge builder. Um. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to try my best. Um, two images are coming to mind. The first image is the one um, in Revelation about God creating all, um, the, the, the throne of God, the kingdom of God being for all peoples or races or uh, nations or tribes. And for me, it speaks about the fact that the God who created the rainbow sees all the individual groups. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people say, well, 
you guys are, I am colorblind. I said, okay, I don't want to be colorblind because that's a condition that's being sick. I want to see the, the yellow, the, the, the green. The, so if God can see us the way we, are, we have been created, I think that he's inviting us to see one another for mm. who we are, you know, your color, the way you worship, the way you, you know, all these things. Um, so that's the image. Uh, if we can acknowledge one another, see them for who they are, the person that God has created them, even in my family. I mean, even within the African-American community, the hues of color in our skin is very different. They call it colorism when people fight against each other because you're lighter and the other one is darker. So to be able to see one another for who we are, I think that's one thing. Um, the other image is being vulnerable. Um, when I spoke at the university, I talked about, you know, it's very important for us to listen to one another. And the listening will take us to welcoming one another. Mm -hmm. uh, we welcome, but welcoming, you can welcome someone and put them at a distance. Yeah. Uh, welcoming goes farther when we embrace one another. Um, Jesus embraced us. He became one of us. And uh, when as the church of Jesus, we embrace one another, I mean, it's like getting close to touch, smell, and see the person. So um, these are the two things that are coming to mind. Craig, maybe you have something else to add. Yeah. Uh, just, well, in, in what Medine said about diversity, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Mm. Uh, we, we can Good. be different. And we can actually appreciate those differences, just like we have different gifts different members of the body, you know, and of course you have some churches that regarding gifts, they amputate certain gifts and then some other churches that collect the, all the amputated members and ne neither one is the ideal of a whole body. Yeah. We, right. want, uh, we have different personalities and, and everything. And w with regard to different cultures, I mean, you see this in Paul's letter to the Romans where Romans 1, Gentiles are lost. Romans 2, Jewish people are lost. Romans 3, everybody's lost. Really pleasant way to start off. But then he starts <laughs> building to show all of us come to God in the same terms. So Jewish people emphasize their ancestry from Abraham. Paul says it's spiritual ancestry from Abraham that counts, Romans 4. And if you really want to insist on your ancestry, Romans 5, 12 through 21, all of us are descended from a sinner. And, and Romans 7 Jewish people said, we're, we're superior, we have the law. And Paul says, the law by itself informs you, it doesn't transform you. You still need salvation in Christ. Romans 9 to 11, he gets to the heart of his theological argument with Jew and Gentile. Don't, Gentiles, don't look down on, on the, the branch. Don't look down on the tree that you've grafted into. Don't look down on the Jewish people. But then um, he starts getting to the practical nitty-gritty, chapter 12, one body with many members, chapter 13, 8 through 10, the, the heart of the law is loving one another. 14, now he goes from preaching to meddling, as they say. Uh, he, he's, he says, don't look down on one another's food customs. Don't look down on one another's holy days. Well, those were two of the three things, the other being circumcision, that, that Roman Gentiles, we specifically know from their writings, look down on Jewish people for. Um, and then in 15, he he gives examples of reconciliation between Jew and Gentile himself. Uh, well, Jesus and then himself. And then 16, he says, beware of those who cause division. So 
Romans 14 talks about this, this diversity. You know, we have these different customs, these different practices, but we, we don't want to look down on one another. We Instead, we need to welcome one another uh, as Jesus has welcomed us, he says in 14 and, and beginning of 15. Um, that's, again, what you see in, in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, with people from every kindred and tribe and people and nation before God's throne, there's still peoples and tribes and, and nations. I'm not sure what happens like when we're interracially married. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, I, if I'm ordained in a black church, what tribe do I go in? I, I think it's not broken down quite like that. But but we bring together the different cultures and languages together in a chorus to to worship the Lord. I. Uh... Uh, so so powerful. Well, one, thank you for walking us through the, the book of Romans and just being able to unpack even just um, conceptually uh, this picture of, of unity that um, the Lord is bringing us to. I'll finish with this just final question. And um, certainly I, I wanted to stay in the realm of of uh, just the kingdom of God, uh, but we, we know that there are politics, at least right now, there are politics involved in that seems to be the much harder and much more difficult um, arena to try to find common ground on. It feels way more volatile. Um, And I I think I would just, uh, the the question I have is um, uh, this, Uh, what would you say, what would your advice be um, as, as People are trying to navigate. There, there's all the political rhetoric going on. Uh, what would your advice be to a follower of Jesus? And as they feel and see things on the political spectrum that, that you know they don't necessarily agree with, but um, but want to yet to see uh, harmony and racial reconciliation um, take place, and and for there to be beautiful and right righteous equity. Uh, taking place in our nation, what would your advice or just what would your encouragement be um, to uh, someone who's trying to fight through all the political rhetoric while whilst trying to uh, honor the, this, the biblical narrative for for reconciliation? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hold. Be willing to hold your politics more lightly than your faith, because we have one Lord. And our loyalty to Jesus comes before our loyalty to nation or party or, or whatever. Amen. And that means we can we can work together on issues on which we agree. Like I may not agree with a certain kind of feminist on abortion, but we certainly agree on sex trafficking, you know? Mm. So Let's work together on what we agree on and maybe through the interpersonal dialogue, we can share why we hold what views we hold on the, on the other points and work for, for justice wherever, wherever we can. Sometimes we have to get past the rhetoric. Well, no, we always have to get past the rhetoric. It's mm-hmm. the, the rhetoric. I mean, it's, we have a two party system and it seems like the loudest voices on the farthest end of either side get the, uh, the most attention, but we're not ju- just dealing with um, 
political positions were dealing with real human beings. We have, I think, a lot of issues where the middle, so to speak, can fall out, or, or people whose voices aren't represented by either of the, of the parties can, can fall out. And we, the church needs to be a place where we, we come together because of Jesus. And if, if somebody's view is different or somebody's practice is different, provided it's within biblical bounds, <laughs> um, we want them to feel at home. We want them to feel welcome. We want them to feel comfortable. And if yeah. it's not within biblical bounds, we still want them to feel loved, but um, yeah. loved enough that we have enough of a relationship we can talk with them about that. Yeah, I, I, I could agree more. I think um, the main aim is to have compassion and love, and um, and and this is the open door for whatever dialogue is necessary for the gospel to move forward. And. And so I just um, thank you so much for that response. I, I want to just thank you both, Doctors Craig and Nadine Keener. You guys uh, are so incredible. Thank you for taking the time to share with our body and to invest in us. This has been really, really, really meaningful, and, and we can't thank you enough for your time. You guys stand with me. Father, we just... Um, Here's what we want to do, God. We want to lay our lives before you. And we just want to ask, God, fill us with truth. And Lord, would you make us bridge builders to help people discover and know you? I pray above politics, above ideologies, above every thought that comes across the spectrum of our culture. I pray we would hold dearly the value for bringing people into your family, creating bridges of understanding that people might know you. Because Lord, we know that you're the answer to the cry of our heart. You're the answer for how we're meant to be reconciled. You're the answer for how we have peace with one another. And I ask God that you would grant that here in this church. Would you do that? I'm just gonna finish this moment by singing this song to God, asking God to build our lives on Him, to anchor the way that we live by Him and who He is. Let's make this declaration together and then we'll close our time.